0: Week seven is done. It was unusual. It was unique. It was one for the football connoisseurs out there. The Vikings finally fall. The weirdest Sunday night game anyone's ever seen. Kickers forgot how to kick, and the game of the year happened, but not many people saw it. All that and much more this week in the MMQB 10 Things Podcast. The MMQB presents the MMQB 10 Things Podcast. Powered by Digital Media. Find your voice. And now, your hosts, Andy Benoit and Gary Gramling. Hello and welcome to the MMQB 10 Things podcast. I am Gary Gramling. I am here with Andy Benoit. Week 7 is done. It was weird, it was wild, it was unusual, unique, it was ugly, it was beautiful. It was all things, Andy. This was this was kind of an unforgettable day.
1: Yeah, cuz I watched all four windows. I started with the very early game and went all the way to the late one and and everything. It's probably as long as a day could possibly be actually, isn't it? On a Sunday cuz it started at 7:30 Eastern and then you had an overtime end in a tie.
0: Yeah, it was uh it was a marathon day and it was it was real. it was up and down. There was—we'll get into it later. I thought the game of the year happened in the 4.30 window, and nobody saw it because everyone was watching the patriots Sealers uh, I'm not going to call it a crap fest, but uh, it, oh, it that wasn't was a, good a very game. good game. Don't do that. That was a good game. Uh, no, it, it was not as good as the one that I watched. But uh, <laughs> let's jump into uh, we got to start with the Sunday-nighter. Number one. The Sunday-night game where— kickers couldn't kick and no one could move the ball forward it was a game for the connoisseurs lots of defense no offense this was uh I I don't know this was I I can't remember I, I can't remember a game like this uh anytime in in recent memory and the way it ended was just well it was unbelievable
1: I love the game because when you get these kind of games, these for one, a lot of the low-scoring games in NFL history have had like a inclement weather as a factor, or backups were in, or something. Like the last three-to-nothing game I, I saw, they pointed out during the telecast, were the Jets and the Cardinals in 2012. I believe that was the Ryan Lindley game. I might be mistaken but I I think that was when Arizona was down to Ryan Lindley and they were playing. I think Mm. you and I got uh, reps in that game at quarterback for him, Gary. (laughs) This wasn't like that, though. Everybody had their players. It was perfect conditions. It's it's in a controlled environment on prime time, and it was just two teams punching each other in the mouth play after play, and everything gets heightened then. Every first down becomes more important. The chance of points becomes enthralling, just a mere chance mm-hmm. of it. Uh, the emptiness of points when the, when the field goals don't go in. Th- this was by far the most excited and, and, and pleasurable I've been watching football this season for a single game.
0: It was. I, I audibly gasped when Richard Sherman hit Larry Fitzgerald on that one play. And that was kind of – that was such a stereotypical play for this game where everyone was just hammering each other. It was like, guys, you're such nice, respected guys in the league. Be gentle with each other. No one get oh, hurt Oh, while here.
1: they're playing football at that point, the guy who really needs to get that memo because <laughs> the only one who was doing that a little <laughs> bit after, and it could have been a big deal in the game, was Sherman's cornerback one slot over to him, Jeremy Lane. He's got – he has to toe the line a little, a little tighter next time. That, that could have yeah. cost him. He had a few hits late.
0: Well, he probably should have uh, cost him at the end of the first half there. That that I mean, he picked up that penalty, and and they bailed him out by calling it offsetting because they, you know whatever. Which Our I didn't mind setting, either. I, I guess, get but. I get
1: Terry McCauley doesn't mess around either, does he? The referee in this game, he it's what's it's right, it's prompt, it's correct, it's to the point. We're moving on. Halftime. Here we go.
0: I made the terrible mistake of remarking to my wife uh, when it was about midway through the third quarter. I was like. This game's going at a pretty good clip. I think we're going to start taping early tonight. <laughs> I actually said that out loud. And I was and like, you yeah, what can go wrong. That's what it did. It can't be worse than last week. But uh, it, I don't know. If, if you missed it, if you fell asleep, if you just turned it off in disgust because it was ruining your fantasy game or, or whatever it would be, uh, you had uh, two missed chip shot field goals in overtime. And this game ended 6-6. Six to six. And if you if you despise special teams, this was one for you. Uh, the uh, the Chandler Catanzaro miss at the end. I mean, it was such a you know David Johnson. It looked like he was he was over the pylon. They put it on the six inch line. They try to punch it in, and Seattle stands him up, which was it was an awesome stand. Cardinals come back out, pick up the of game, and and then the kick. It was like hand of God came down and just whacked the thing right back onto the field. It hit so square on the upright. It was vicious. It was cruel the way it bounced back (laughs) onto the field. And that's just the way it's gone for the Cardinals this year.
1: Uh, Two two things on that place. Two of Seattle's best players got involved on that. Bobby Wagner and Richard Sherman factored in on the line of vision. And and then the other thing, and maybe we'll hear about it during the week, and it's going to be second-guessing now, uh, but they wouldn 't hurry up right after that David Johnson play. They rushed to the line and tried to catch yes. Seattle off guard when I believe everything 's reviewable upstairs right and in, yes, in overtime so Bruce Arians is going to be second-guess for that because it looked to me, on the naked eye, it looked like he didn't get in. And then when I saw the replay, I thought, oh, I that was a touchdown. That The ball was on the the goal line, and goal line's the plane. So uh, I think that you could say it's a mistake now. They wanted to catch Seattle off guard. Other teams have done that before with great success. New England did it today against Pittsburgh. But that's what's going to happen. It's the nature of these prime-time games and being a head coach. Bruce Arians will get second-guess for that one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, not too much, though. Yeah, when they rushed back to the line, I was wondering if uh, maybe they thought there was a, a fumble over the pylon because that ball came out at the very end. There was not, but uh, I, I'm wondering if that was maybe a concern for them. Oh, boy. But, yeah, this game was a, this game was something. Bobby Wagner blocked a field goal with his armpit earlier in the game, and certainly that played a role in what yeah. went on late, and there's something with that turf. I mean, you know, Hauska <laughs> took up, uh, you know, took about a fricking crater on that first field goal he kicked. There's something going on because they do that weird. Uh, they they bring it outside to to grow it and maintain right. it, and then they move it back into the stadium for the games. Right, it's not right. It's it's not the way grass is meant to be grown.
1: Two things I know we got to move on here. Two things, just as uh, something to move forward with and think about if you're a Seattle fan. One is Russell Wilson's not moving around this year, and I don't know mm-hmm. if the injuries are the reason why. I think he's been a better quarterback because of it, and I think it's going to pay off late in the season. And then, two, is Earl Thomas has played m- more of the strong safety position, really, because they're diversifying their coverages on that side of the ball. And uh, it's been fun to watch. I think he's a better player down near the box. So two impor- probably the most important guy on offense and defense playing mm-hmm. very different styles of football this year for Seattle there.
0: Well, the tie on Sunday night. Let's go on to Topic 2. Number 2. The Vikings lose. So the Dolphins can drink their champagne, the 72 Dolphins, whatever they do to celebrate. No more undefeated teams in the NFL in 2016. The Vikings go down, and they go down hard. Sam Bradford's return to Philadelphia goes pretty much how Sam Bradford's entire tenure in Philadelphia went. This was a... I mean, this was a game where the Vikings' offensive line was was overwhelmed.
1: They were. They've got a problem there in Minnesota too. It's been that way all season long. When when Ant, uh, excuse me, when T.J. Clemmings first came in at left tackle after Matt Khalil got hurt, this was in the Carolina game. I put on that film and I thought, you know, he's, he's using his hands better. There's more of an assertiveness to him this year. It's, that's commendable because he's moved from right tackle where he struggled as a rookie. And then he moved to backup. Now he's a left tackle. That's a lot to transition to. But the big concern I had was how tall he played. He, he was upright. And that's yeah. the kind of thing that as, te- as defenders see that more on film, they think of more and more ways to exploit that. And that happened over the course of that Panther game. And it's happened more each week. He's become more exposed as he's become as the exposure of him has grown. So that's one problem. Surlis at the other side, or cyril 's uh, at right tackles a problem. A journeyman backup, and then the fact that Jake Long Jake got Long, on the field. The today, and I'm not trying to. I know I don't mean to rip Jake Long. He's had it's, a very nice career, but it, it really he had a very nice career. He was done. He was out of yes. the league, and the fact that he got on the field at left tackle early in the game gave up a strip-sack fumble, and then remained on the field later where he could give up another one. That tells you how zero confidence that those coaches have right now in their other offensive tackles in Minnesota. Yeah, This is going to be a problem, Gary.
0: The PFF had, had Jake Long for 13 snaps, I believe. And I'm assuming they only got Jake Long because Orlando Pace wouldn't return their calls. Yeah, But uh, it, it was incredible to see Jake Long back out there. That makes no sense. He's been gone for too long, and he was done last time he was here two years ago. Uh, I guess the question now is, the Vikings don't, uh, whatever, it, it's not a panic mode type of thing, but no. Joe Thomas is out there. The Browns have floated uh, through Mike Florio, it sounds like. Uh, they're looking for a second rounder for Joe Thomas. You've already spent all those picks to get Sam Bradford. Would you pull the trigger on Joe Thomas?
1: For a second round? I'm giving up a second round pick if I'm doing this. You're giving
0: up a second round pick, but you've already given up your first and fourth.
1: The question, there's two parts to that question. One of it is just, is Joe Thomas worth that at this stage of his career? He still is very good. Like, you watch him on film, he looks the same as, as he's always looked. He has the best balance and recovery technique of any left tackle in the league, I believe. Um, he's not super, I mean, he's 31 years old. He could conceivably play another three or four years at a high level. So I think, yes, you do it for Joe Thomas for a second rounder. That's that one question. The other question though, is the fact that you gave up your first and your fourth round pick, should that factor into your decision of whether you trade a second rounder for Thomas now, are those mutually exclusive or are they related? And I think the, the initial thinking is, Hey, those are related. You want to have some draft picks. But why wouldn't they be mutually exclusive? The idea of the draft is to get good players in spots that you need them. You need a left tackle badly. You can get one right here, right now, and you're not going to have any issues with Joe Thomas. You're not going to have to worry about him learning the scheme or something. He'll understand what's going on. And you can plug that in and solve your greatest weakness I think you do that trade. I think you do it and you consider, hey, that's how we spent our second-round pick and we're going to get a Pro Bowl left tackle for three years out of it. That's probably what's the best you could hope for anyway if you use a second-rounder as a Pro Bowler for three years. But there's not going to be a Pro Bowler right away. Joe Thomas will be a Pro Bowler right away for you.
0: Yeah. No, I am in complete agreement. Uh, you know, Once once Jake Long was signed to your roster, you probably should have had some sirens going off in the building. Uh, Just a quick question on the quarterbacks. Any reason to worry about Bradford, who is uncharacteristically turnover-prone today, or about uh, Carson Wentz on the other side, who also certainly did not play well in this one?
1: Yeah, Wentz wasn't sharp in this one. I, I'm not worrying about him yet. I thought he looked good last week. Um, he's not been what he was. The last three games had not been like his first three, but the foundation's still the same. I, I still think he's, he's exactly what you want in a QB, and now we're just seeing a little bit of up and down from it. Bradford played out of a hole-all game, and there was pressure on him, and he's, he's handled that very well this season, to his credit. He's a better thrower of the ball than we remember with him. The mm-hmm. problem, the concern there is you have two parts there in Minnesota. You have, your offensive line is so bad, you can't run the ball either. So yeah. you're going to be in third down and long situations in theory with a bad offensive line. That's why I think they have a, a real issue here because they're not a good running team. They don't have a running back who can create yards now that Peterson's out. So you're dependent on the blocking in both your run game and your pass game, and your blocking is by far your biggest weakness. Number three.
0: This is the... Chargers over the Falcons in overtime. I will just say right now, this is the game of the year to this point. When it comes to the aesthetics of it, the excitement of it, and the quality of play, this is the game that restored my faith in humanity. Philip Rivers was wonderful. Matt Ryan was sharp as well. Uh, this was just great football, and uh, I'm just glad to see things finally starting to break right a little bit for the Chargers. On top of Rivers playing well, they got really, They got some really big moments out of Melvin Gordon, who, you know, every time we talk about Melvin Gordon, it's because he's lost another fumble at the worst possible time. But Gordon was excellent in this game, and uh, I don't know. I think the Chargers have this thing turned around. I think they're going to be right there in that AFC West race as we Ooh, head to the second take. half of hot take Hot
1: take, Gary, because at AFC West, everybody's 4-2 and or better, I believe, aren't they?
0: Yeah, well, except for the Chargers.
1: <laughs> <are clean> <laughs> That's what made the take so hot. <laughs> they, here's one thing they do in San Diego extremely well. They do a few things well, but something I, I, that you notice each week, there's actually two of them and it's in their passing game. Shallow crossing routes is are, are, are one of the things they do. And the other one is switch releases, meaning uh, receivers crisscrossing off the line of scrimmage, the natural picks and rubs that you hear about. They do that very well. And they killed Denver with those a few nights ago. So... Though, and why I bring that up, those are both sustainable. That's not like a rhythm type of thing, so much that's an execution thing. That's what you do each week that can beat the predicted defense, especially if the defense is man to man coverage. And that builds inherent consistency into your passing game because they're not uh, those, those create easy completions for Rivers.
0: Yeah, yeah. And look, Tyrell Williams is the truth. He was excellent today. Again, he is just getting better and better. And uh, like I said, Gordon played well. Falcons played great too, but uh, you know, and and they're so they're certainly in control in the NFC South, and I think they're going to be fine going forward. They didn't play that poorly defensively. I thought they, uh, you know, just Philip Rivers made some plays, outmaneuvered them in the end. Number four, Miami Dolphins, Jay Ajayi, 200 yards again. He joins O.J. Simpson, Earl Campbell. Ricky Williams as the only players to top 200 yards in consecutive games. Andy, I know you like this guy.
1: You? Th- uh, why do you? Why do you say that? Because he's from Boise State, and I live in Boise.
0: That And you have said in the past, "I like this guy
1: <laughs> that 's usually the giveaway <laughs> what 's neat with a what I like is when a guy is better than his body type suggests, and david johnson 's this way as well i 'll use Johnson mm-hmm. because he 's an easier guy to illustrate the point with and i 'll tell you what I mean with a but David Johnson, if you look at him, he looks he 's high cut and thick, and you think, oh at best he 'll be a downhill roller, and maybe he 's Eddie George and he, and he can be powerful by running upright." Maybe, or chances are he'll be a guy you can tackle. And then David Johnson beats you with his lateral jump cut, and you have no idea what to do about that. That doesn't match up. He's better than his body type. Ajayi's a little bit like that as well. He he can roll downhill and he 's going to be a tick faster than what you expect almost every single time he can turn the corner he 's lighter on his feet than he appears he 's also an upright runner, so you wouldn 't think that he would be uh, a, an elusive guy and he 's not elusive in the purest sense but he 's got he 's he's like a better like garrett blunt really where he doesn 't look like he should ever make anybody miss and he can make you miss he he 's a light foot power built type of runner. They have something there in him, I think. And I know like Greg Cosell, who I respect immensely as a draft analyst guy, as everything football guy, but especially with the draft, he was really high on the Jai e. coming out. He saw those traits back in college. So it's a matter of whether they can feel comfortable with the e. with all the ancillary stuff, blocking, passing game, off the field, focus, where is he in that regard. But as a runner mm-hmm. of the football, he's a good talent.
0: Well, he also, coming out of the draft, he was a fifth-round pick, but he he was also a medicals guy, too. So Yeah, yeah. Know, there was some talk, you know, maybe you only get four or five good years out of him, but uh, this well, is certainly going to be one now, of those right? good years. Yes, yes. But this is—the uh, one other thing I wanted to say about the Dolphins is, I don't know, Adam Gase has to have, like, the, the angel and the devil on his shoulder, and, and it's like the angel is winning out and telling him, just run the ball, just run the ball, stop throwing, <laughs> and it's so against his nature— because last week, I mean, look, it, they led most of the game against Pittsburgh. They were in control for the most part. It was 30-8 to eight forever in that game. It ended up 30-15. They ended up uh, controlling the ball for thirty six thirty. They ran for 222. They were trailing for most of this game. I, I think they didn't take the lead until the fourth quarter. I'll bring up the box score, just so I am actually speaking in factual uh statements here and yeah they were they were trailing going into the fourth but they stuck with the run all game they ended up uh running for 256 they controlled the clock for 37 minutes they ran it 41 times they threw it 25 which is just that's mm. not adam Gase football but it's winning football and plus it, they they had two teams come down there to the heat in miami and they just wore them down both times they wore down the bills today
1: I've gotten to know Adam Gase pretty well. I've learned a lot from him. He's been uh, great to me as just a a guy who teaches football. And um, there are three things that are very true about him. One is you're right. He does not like to run the ball. The second is he's very smart. And the third is he's very humble. He's confident, but he's humble. He's humble in his behavior. So two out of three went out there. He's smart enough to know I have to run the ball, and he's humble enough to go ahead and do that. And here he is calling a running play 41 times out of about 66 snaps, I think you said it was. That's quite remarkable because that absolutely goes against his nature. Uh, So hats off to him, credit to him. And look, they got their offensive line back together there in Miami too. When they were really struggling a few weeks ago, we didn't maybe put enough emphasis on the fact that they were playing uh, Turner and Dallas Thomas on the left side, guys that really uh, shouldn't have been on the field, frankly. And I understand their backups, Mm -hmm. they were forced in the lineup, but they'd had issues for several years. That's why they were backups. Those guys are gone. They're not even on the roster anymore. They've got Tunzel back. Tunzel, by the way, is as impressive as an athlete athlete as anyone I've seen at left guard in the league this yeah. season and maybe in a few years. He he's a big time player. And Brandon Albert can still play at left tackle. Long arm, strong, understands balance. It's a whole different team when you have just those two guys stationed on the left side of your offensive line.
0: Yep. Uh, one more thing in that game. Ugly, ugly crackback block, Jarvis Landry on Aaron Williams, as ugly a play as you'll see in and the NFL this year i I would hope uh Landry should be suspended for it i i I don't know if you saw it yet, Andy, but uh, I haven't I'm seen sure it he yet. I'm sure he won't be suspended for it because the outrage meter is just not high enough, and that's uh that's how these things happen and one other thing since you brought up David Johnson, going to be a guest on the Peter King podcast this week.
1: Oh, good for him. Good Very for him. good for Peter not, as well.
0: not only a unique prospect, he's a triplet, you know.
1: I was about to just make a corny joke, like "Hey, did you know he's a triplet" because everybody says that. I was going to be <laughs> sarcastic about it, but Peter will probably lead off with that and get him to say something that he's never said to anyone before about being a triplet, too.
0: There you go, Peter King, not a triplet. Peter but he has gets a podcast. right to it
1: on that stuff. He'll know what to do.
0: <laughs> you have to, uh, you have to check that out. MMQB Podcast with Peter King, number five. As for this podcast, let's go on to topic number five, which was the Patriots go down to Pittsburgh, and beat the Steelers. Uh, this was, uh, you know, Roethlisberger out, Landry in. I know you had a close eye on this game, the I sort of had it on on the side as I watched the wonderful Falcons-Chargers game, but uh, I- I'll let you weigh in on what you saw today.
1: This, this is an easy one. This was a quintessential Patriots performance. So, let's start on the defense for a change. That's a bend, but don't break defense. And they forced Pittsburgh into a lot of field goals. And uh, we think of, we always think of New England as they do everything. They do all these different game plans each week on defense. That hasn't been true in 10 or 12 years. They did that back when they had Teddy Bruschi and Willie McGinnis and Mike Vrabel and Ted Johnson and uh, Lawyer Malloy or Rodney Harrison, a bunch of veterans. But They're more of an athletic-driven defense now. They play man coverage. They just try to out-execute you, not try to out-scheme you, and that's what they did against Pittsburgh. They were very good at it once again. Uh, And then on offense, it's about dictating matchups in the middle of the field. And they, they, they were making a big deal about that Gronkowski and Bennett weren't huge factors in the first half of the game, but that's not the nature of facing the Steelers for New England. The Steelers are a zone-based nickel defense. They're always going to, almost always, they, they do play more dime than they used to. But for the most part, they're going to have two linebackers on the field. They're going to have at least one with significant coverage responsibilities, usually Lawrence Timmons. And the Patriots felt they could spread out, put Edelman in, inside, and isolate Edelman on Timmons in space against mm-hmm. the predicted zone coverages, and that's exactly what they did. That's how New England plays. They find your uh, – they dictate the matchups. Timmons is, uh, is a great linebacker. Edelman's a great receiver. Receiver wins in the passing game every time in that scenario. So uh, it, was, it was a straightforward approach. It's exactly what you'd expect from New England. They're also using their running backs very well, blunt on the ground game, and White in the passing game as a, as a complementary player to those tight ends. It's fun watching the Patriots' offense. I like seeing where everybody lines up each play. It's always going to be a different spot, it feels like.
0: There you go. I have nothing to add in this game. I was bummed to see Cameron Hayward didn't play, just because I like Cameron Hayward. but uh, Yeah, that was about it.
1: Hargrave's been pretty good filling in for Hayward, by the way.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's
1: not Hayward. I'm not saying that. Exactly. Ideally, they want all those guys in the field together because they play a little bit of different positions. But Hargrave, in their nickel, has filled the Hayward role. And there's really only one other nose tackle in the league I can think of who has played in sub-packages this season and been really effective, and that's Vince Wilfork for Houston.
0: Okay. a likable guy.
1: Now you wish you'd watch the game.
0: I don't. Uh, I Honestly, I, I was so...
1: You were so—I get it. You you just smitten with that Charger. Fal- oh look, fa- I'll watch the Falcons Charger Char- Falcons film, and I'll send you my notes first thing uh, tomorrow night when I get a chance to look at it. When, I promise. When you Falcons that.
0: Chargers ended, I was just full of the Christmas spirit. That's, yeah. that's how I would put it.
1: Yeah. No, I get it. I, I felt that way after the Sunday night game, the, the fist fight in in Phoenix or in Glendale.
0: But it ruined so many fantasy games, Andy. You don't understand.
1: Uh, probably ruined more than that. Was that who? What was the Vegas line in that?
0: Uh, it was actually really close. It was. Uh, I, I think it ended up being Seattle was getting a point, so Seattle okay. covered. All
1: right, there you go.
0: Not that I, not that I follow that kind of
1: thing. Not the, yeah, not that that yeah, that's, yeah. No, that's good. F- gambling and fantasy are why we have listeners. I'm not. I'm not unaware of that. <laughs> I don't do either, but I fully, fully appreciate all of it. I feel like a dealer to those people.
0: Speaking of which, hold that next thought, Andy. We are in mid-season. You probably have your fantasy leagues going. You have your pick-and-pools, and and that's all well and good, but maybe you make things a little more interesting going forward. Get in the action and play like the pros at mybookie.net. It's the most exciting online experience for sports fans. MyBookie features real Vegas odds and incredible player props on every football game. Did the game already kick off? That's all right. MyBookie has live in-games with odds updated in real time. So maybe you want to uh, put a little money down that the kicker's going to miss a 19-yard field goal at the end of overtime and the game's going to end in a tie. You could probably make uh, some pretty good cash off of that. It is never too late to make a play, and it is optimized for smartphone users for nonstop action on the go. Go online, type MyBookie in your browser, and sign up today use the promo code 10 things, that's 10things that's 10 T H I N G S to be entered into their million dollar prize pool or call 844-722-2387 join the thousands of online players already playing only the biggest only the best only at my
1: sign up today this is Adrian Wojnarowski of The Vertical for candid conversations with the biggest names around the NBA be sure to check out our podcast network, which includes The Vertical Podcast with Woj, The Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick, and The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix, all at vertical.com, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Number six. All right, on to topic six. This is the London game. This is the... Garbage we keep shipping out to the United <laughs> Kingdom, and it's going to be a diplomatic issue after a while. Oh, they're eating was... it up
1: out there. They love it. They're grateful. they they appreciate it. They probably ah. wish we'd sent them our three to three tie, our six to six tie, so they could have related a little better, seen some missed kicks. But
0: uh... I I was gonna say I, I I feel like I feel like if you watch you know for the fans out there who are watching the NFL regularly. This has to be this has to be such a bummer to see these just crap games uh, over over on Twitter. Nick Rimmer uh, at Nick Rimmer thirty six wrote to us and just you know in the in the afternoon said presumably number one on the Ten Things podcast will be the awful standard of play in the London Games and early U.S. games. So this is uh you know this this was not a beautiful game. This was a lot of Case Keenum interceptions. Sounds like uh who who was it? Kenny Britt or Brian Quick? It was Brian Quick on the last play, right?
1: Yeah, it was Brian Quick, and, and he and Keenum were not on the same page on that one, and I'd, I'd like to know. There's an answer to that. Somebody was right and somebody was wrong. Uh, what was that? Giants, was that zero
0: blitz on that last play?
1: I, I It looked – yeah, I believe it was zero blitz. Um, you always have to be – yeah, it was zero blitz. And the Giants the Giants have had success with blitzes the last couple of weeks too. They've done yeah. a good job. Uh, they, they'll blitz on second down, not just third down and Landon Collins has been an important player for them not just because he's getting interceptions he had two in this game but he's also been an effective blitzer in their packages and and he's, he's been a good downhill hitter too he's He's turning into a nice player because he has some limitations in coverage that you have to hide. He's he not a man coverage defender, and he'll miss a tackle once in a while. So if you said you have a safety who can't cover man-to-man and he misses tackles, you'd say that's not, a, that's not a safety you'd want. But they've found a way to make him a viable, important piece in their defense still.
0: He does. I always thought Landon Collins would be a liability in that defense because he does have so many limitations in coverage. But he has become a nice player. And and by the way, excellent Run back, not only an entertaining run back for the touchdown off of that first tipped interception, but uh, the Giants have been so bad in the red zone. You really have to think that's a four point play there, Collins getting that to the end zone. Because I I don't know. The the way the Giants go down there, you know, you, you figure you're settling for a chip shot attempt. A little Robbie Gold action. But, uh, you know, the the big storyline here, Keenum throws the four interceptions. Not all his fault, except Keenum seems to have a throw or two every week that doesn't get intercepted where you say, whoa, yeah. that was a yeah. terrible throw that should have been intercepted. So the question now is, is it time for golf? Uh, you know, I, I know you did some study with golf leading up to the draft last year. Do you think he'd be on schedule to get onto the field at this point, or do you just call this a redshirt year for him and, and just keep on going forward with Case Keenum?
1: I, I can't answer that because I, I what he's asked to do in Los Angeles, those offenses are so different than from Cal. So I don't know where Goff is in the process. And remember, Goff, is he, he played three years in college. Dak Prescott and Carson Wentz, they were five-year guys. So Goff comes into the league two years behind them and also played in a system that was much less conducive to transferring to the NFL than those other two rookies. So it, it's unfortunate for him because he's looking like, oh, Goff's not – well, he's already a bust. He can't get it together. It, yeah. It's not an apples-to-apples scenario, and I don't know what, he's being, what they would ask him to do. My sense is I think you have to stick with Keenum because – you don't have any talent around him in, in Los Angeles there. Todd Gurley is great, but there's nothing going in the running game this year because the offensive line can't win, and there are receivers who really don't scare people. So you have to win through play design if that's the case. And if it's about winning through play design, then you have no choice but to go with the more experienced, the, 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 the at this point smarter, if you will, the smarter quarterback. And Keenum, for all his flaws, and he's got a lot of them, he is a very inconsistent throw, Or at times he's an inconsistent decision maker, but really it's that he's just not a good enough thrower of the football accuracy or arm strength. Despite all that, he still gives you the full, the chance to run your offense. And that's a very well put together offense. It's getting better each week. Their game against the lions was one of the best I've seen on film all year in terms of winning through play designs. And I thought they did some nice things on first down against the giants. They're very good at beating you on first down play calls where the defense becomes predictable, I think you have to do Keenum for that, though. I don't think Goff gives you the full dimension of that, and there's nobody around Goff to help him out if he were in there.
0: All right. Now, I have I have no problem with Goff sitting, and certainly they would know where he is better than, than we do. I I think when you rush a guy out there too early, you risk creating bad habits that, uh, I mean, look, once you get out there onto the field, you can make mistakes in practice that you wouldn't make on the field in a live game situation, when you're trying not to embarrass yourself, and you sort of fall back into things that uh, you know you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't do that aren't good for the long term. That was a very well, vague key, answer I just gave. But.
1: No, but key, uh, no, you're right, Gary, and, that, and that's I think that's one way people think of it. I, keep in mind, from Los Angeles's perspective, they're saying, "Hey, we're three and four. That's not an awful record in the NFL. It's it's still relatively early. We got more than half our games left." We could be five and two. We've been in some close ones the last two weeks and we probably, we felt like we were the better team in both of those, I imagine we're going to play the guy who's best right now. We're a a professional football team. We're not thinking about the long-term development of one guy, even though it happens to be our future franchise QB. We've got 52 other players on the roster who are wanting to win games, and so that's how they're viewing it is what's happening here and now, and Keenum's to them is the answer for right here, right now, regardless of Goff's mental health long-term as a QB who gets rushed in there or not.
0: I'd worry about breaking my very you know, I'm sure fragile, that factors... number one I, I... <laughs> overall pick.
1: Well, fragile. Look, remember, keep in mind, too, Goff got thrown to the Wolves <laughs> he got in Cal, hampered. and and he, he came out as a better QB for it, too.
0: He did. He did. That's true. Uh, my favorite play from this game. One last thing on this terrible, terrible game. It was a terrible game, and, and please, any listeners over the UK, accept – my apology on behalf of the United States of America.
1: Oh but come on, this this game my, was not my, that bad. You're acting like this is one of the was, Thursday night games from this year.
0: It was, well the Thursday night game. That's not even NFL football anymore. That's just that's a pile of garbage that they just throw out there because people <laughs> will pay them money for it. But uh, there was a third and three play from like the 30-yard line of the Rams for the Giants. And I, every time I watch the Giants, I'm like, you know what? This offense is so painful to watch. Whatever happens on this play, just throw a jump ball to Odo Beckham and just let him make a play. And they did it. They finally did it, and Beckham actually came down. He caught it with two hands for once and came down with a 22-yard catch, set up a uh, touchdown for him. That was yep. the only play I enjoyed during that entire game.
1: Yeah, and that was another switch release, too. The Rams defended that very well. and That's the unfortunate part. That's the Odell Beckham factor. That's the difference between the Giants and Rams because the Rams, yep. that's, the concept should have won. It was third down and three, third and four, something like that. Uh, the Giants had the right kind of play call. They actually helped their receivers with a man beater, which is not in their system typically, not a huge part of it. And uh, the man beater didn't work, and Beckham won anyway. I, I'm with you. Yep. That was, That was an intriguing play.
0: Yeah, and we'll have a discussion. There's another London game next week. There's more London games next Are week, so I really? guess we can maybe oh. make up for it. There's I like a, yeah, them, but there's I, get, an... I
1: get assigned to them early, and so I got to. Uh, who's playing next? Yeah,
0: week? uh Washington, Cincinnati. So we'll talk about it next week. And I have solutions to fix these London games and to fix Thursday night football, but it's we'll get into it another time. Number seven. So we'll uh, we'll jump ahead to topic seven, which is. The Cleveland Browns still winless. So the 72 Dolphins got to break out their champagne toast. Browns are still winless, which means the 2008 Detroit Lions will have to hold off on their toast, which I assume is uh, human tears. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, the the Cavs are NBA champions. Uh, The Indians are going to the World Series. The Browns just still can't catch a break. They're down to Kevin Hogan now. Who uh, you will not like him as a quarterback. I, I don't know if you saw anything today, Andy, but uh, he actually Whoa. he comes from a pro style system at Stanford, so there was some like, oh well, he's a little more pro ready. But Hogan was always a sort of one look, pull it down and run type of guy at Stanford, and that's what he did today. He ran All a right. lot. He ran a ton. He ran for a hundred something yards. Oh, but, did he? Uh, this yeah, this was uh, this was a game where the Browns were were overmatched by the Bengals.
1: Well, uh, I, the Bengals are his zone defense, so if you're running a lot against them, it means you're probably not reading the field well because typically QBs run against man coverage because man defenders run away from the QB following the wide receiver that they're guarding, and that's how lanes open up. So yeah. I look forward well, who- to watching this film. This I'll get through this one in about an hour and a half, I bet. That'll be good. I'd
0: be curious. I, 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 uh, I had very little... <laughs> I had very little will to really watch this game closely, but Hogan, yeah, Hogan rushed seven times for 104 yards and a touchdown, and he uh, he threw for 100 on 24 throws. So that's the kind of quarterback you're going to see, Andy, when you break down this film. But Browns are I don't are the the Browns realistically are they going to go winless? I think they're all right. I think they're going to win one or two this year.
1: Yeah, no, I don't. They're not. uh, They're not atrocious. Every game I've seen, which is all I think it's all of them. They have, uh, they've been competitive in the game. And I mean that like in the way that they've looked like a professional football team, they have an offense, they have things they do on defense that work sometimes it doesn't work all the other times or every time. Uh, They just don't have talent in the right places yet which is to be fully expected they utterly overhauled their offense this year they'll probably have half new players again next season that's just that's just where the Browns are at in their process right now but they're not doing a bad job there and they yeah they yeah this this isn't an embarrassment it's a team with a really bad record is all
0: yes better days ahead number eight topic eight the reader response topic we're still working on the title, but we'll call it Reader Response this week. Uh, the original idea was that I was going to give out my home telephone number and have all of you call me at 1 a.m. Monday morning, but we scrapped that and said reached out for some stuff on Twitter and Facebook at Andy underscore Benoit or at G Grambling underscore SI if you want to get in on this. couple questions this week. Let's start with at LJ Sherman. LJ underscore Sherman, I believe it is. Uh Winston and Mariota, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, are they progressing, Andy?
1: That's a good question. I love that question. I think Winston has been much more erratic than the Bucks would hope. Some of that, I still, I still think, can be. If you want to look at the silver lining, he, the reason he's erratic is because he, he tries to read the field like a veteran, so he takes on that responsibility, and he sometimes is wrong. But yeah. it's it's not like he can't read the field. It's that he it's that he plays aggressive, and he he does make some big time throws, and he's willing to fit balls into tight windows. And he's not all, he's not good enough to be that way every single down yet. But the foundation is still there, so I think they would hope he'd be a little further along just this season. But the the Bucks still have a good QB there. As far as Mariota, that he's actually taken a little bit of a, a step back as well, just in, in this regard. Um, he he hasn't been as accurate this season, Gary, and his mechanics. I yeah. wonder if that's the case or what the deal is. I still don't think he fits that offense fully. Now, to Mark Malarkey's credit, though, that offense has evolved the last few weeks. Early in the season, I said, I don't think Mariota fits it at all. It's an old school, 22 personnel, two backs, two tight ends. We're going to run the ball for three yards every play, and that's how we're going to win. They've totally evolved from that now. They're more uh, more diverse with their route concepts, or throwing on first down and having success. Uh, Mariota's been good out of spread sets at the end of halves. So there's an upside with that, but Mariota as a pure – in a vacuum, quarterback has not been as fine-tuned this season as he was a year ago, and I, I my guess would be it's because he's adjusting to a system. Uh, he's adjusting to a new system under Malarkey. Malarkey doesn't do what Ken Wisenhunt did with Mariota early last season.
0: Yeah. Can I just make one point about Jameis? Yeah. I don't of know course. why I'm asking for permission because I'm just going to make a point about Jameis. Yeah. You.
1: Ha- I have no choice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I. Uh, I. I think the schedule. I think the schedule really affected you know they've had to face Denver they've I, I think he's been overwhelmed by some pass rushes I think they you know with Vincent Jackson uh, hampered and now out I, I think they've been working through some things I, I think he's gonna have a big second half
1: and that we'll Vincent Jackson won the hurts season, but... too that, that Vincent yeah. Jackson won and they won today in San Francisco to their credit so yep. um, but the, yeah, Vincent it's... Jackson they don't have someone on the roster to replace him
0: I was going to say, it's it's not even a matter of, I mean, they don't have someone that size, that style right. to replace them. They, they're not deep anyway. They don't even have, like, uh, you know, right. a, a, a good smaller guy to, to throw out there. They are yeah, in some trouble. Russell Shepard, the old LSU guy, I saw was out there today. Caught a touchdown. So maybe he's an answer. but uh, Next question comes from Alberto Garcia. At drf zero seven one one, very pessimistic question. As the Steelers drop to four and three, there is still no statement win. Should we worry that Coach Tomlin consistently gets outcoached? <laughs>
1: um, I, as I understand it, they've played seven games. They've won four, so I I count four statement wins there, and. They also did, they won a Super Bowl, too. So if you have a higher threshold for a statement win, you can go to that one from granted years ago. But I don't know what this question's asking, quite frankly, Gary. You I appreciate think, this I mean, guy listening. I do. I, I appreciate it. But yeah. I, I, this this is not a good question.
0: Do you think the Steelers get out coached? No. No. Okay. I don't think so no. either.
1: You almost never watch the NFL and say, "Oh, this team flat out out outcoached that team," which is how you'd have to declare that in order to actually brand something as outcoaching, because that's a harsh label. And no, they don't get outcoached. No, absolutely not.
0: I'll say this, and and as I've said before, I am from a family of Steelers fans. The Steelers lay an egg. Once or twice a year. Yeah, they do, and they've already <laughs> yeah. done it twice this year. And and it's just it it's always confusing because they they almost always bounce back. This week was a little bit different because obviously Roth was was out, uh, but you know they they I, I think it was something like they had won ten of their last eleven after uh, after a loss in the regular season or something like that before today. But uh, you know this is a this is a team that has some baffling losses yep. every now and then. Today was not really one of them. Today they played a really good team that that beat them.
1: Good. Very good. Are uh, we out of reader things, or do we have one more before we no, do this lightning round? No,
0: we have we have polls. We have quick polls to recap here. You can vote on polls if you follow me or follow Andy on Twitter. We had uh last week's post poll post show poll was how do you think the one in five Panthers will end up this year? They did not give up a single point this week. Uh sixty one percent of you said not close <laughs> to playoff contention. 34% said they would narrowly miss the playoffs. 4% said they would get a wild card spot. And 1% said they would be NFC South champions. Andy, do you have anything to add to that?
1: Just that they didn't give up the point because they didn't play by week. Nice <laughs> job with that, though. I, I see what you're hey,
0: uh, We had this week's pre-show poll, which I guess we'll do that going forward. Uh, which sub-500 AFC team has the best chance to make the playoffs? Bengals, 48%, Chargers, 34%, Dolphins, 10%, Ravens, 8%. We had a handful of write-ins for the Colts, uh, basically as as the AFC South. Uh, I don't know. I still think they might relegate the AFC South at some point, so I didn't put them in this poll, but uh, I would have voted Chargers here because now I'm just totally on the Chargers bandwagon.
1: Yeah, I would have put the Colts in the poll to begin with.
0: You can only fit four, though. I still want to put him in the I probably should have cut with. the Ravens or the Dolphins, but whatever. Uh, okay. Uh, and, and our last poll of the week, Andy. This, this was based on our text gate last week. Keeping in mind that you asked me a question via text was the text I sent back to you saying that it was a pretty short OT in the Sunday night game. This is Texans-Colts. No, hold on, is hold on. That... I,
1: did not, I did not ask you a question. You did. I sent... You did
0: ask a question.
1: I said, I'm going. I said, I'm starting the OT. This is the Texans Colts game now. I said, I'm starting the OT. I will call you. We'll do the show as soon as it's done. Uh, Is that okay? If, if I asked a question, yes, is, is that okay? Yes, that's a question, though. And your answer was pretty short overtime, which I took as a spoiler. <laughs> so uh, we can get to the poll, but I will say this. To your credit, because we had another overtime, you were challenged immediately the next week. And I'll just read the text. I wrote to you, uh, I have nine and a half minutes left in regulation. Now, I didn't know at that time. I, that when I had almost I another half a game to go. Uh, I said, it'll probably end five minutes late for me on our starting time. Sorry to be running a few minutes late. It won't happen again. It'll probably happen again. And then your response was, I acknowledge your message and look forward to later interactions. And that was excellent. Yeah. That was a perfect response. I, now, I didn't read it because I didn't trust it and I didn't want to look at it, but after the game, I saw your response. It was good. Anyway, so what's the poll? Did anyone else, uh, did anybody think you didn't spoil, potentially spoil the Texans-Colts game for me last week?
0: It was It was 56% said bad text, 44% said good text. So I learned a lesson here, and that lesson is that <laughs> democracy does not work. And we have a very uneducated... Base of voters here on our show.
1: You improved. So there this you week. go. I'll give you that. I'm not. You improved. <laughs> you did learn. You did learn Whether you want to admit it or not. <laughs> Number nine.
0: Let's go on to the lightning round. Topic nine: the lightning round. We'll start with Washington and Detroit. Matthew Safford does it again. He is carrying this team on his own. Uh, one other thing before uh, before I let you chime in on this. Kirk Cousins kept it on a zone read play and ran it for a touchdown. It was very it was like turn back the clock to RG3 in that game.
1: Yeah. Cousins is more mobile than people realize. Uh, he's not mobile, but he's more mobile than you think. Stafford's actually very mobile as well. And and Stafford can do two things that are conducive to coming from behind. I'm not saying that's exactly what he did in this game, but just conceptually because he's had a lot of come from behind wins in his career. Uh, he can move with his feet. He can make plays with his feet and buy time and make weird throws off of movement. That's one. And the other is he's a very good tight window thrower, especially to the sidelines. And why that's important is because that's how you beat cover two, and cover two is almost always the coverage teams play when they're protecting a lead late in games.
0: Yeah. And look, he made a comeback. Stafford came back and topped that comeback. Uh, The Redskins, Matt Jones, lost a bad fumble early on. They had two turnovers. That's how this game turned on them. They they let this one get away from them. Uh, Let's go on to Colts and Titans. Nice comeback win for the Colts. Spread ended up being a little bit bigger because they they tacked on a defensive touchdown at the end, but this was an Andrew Luck comeback, and I thought it was nice to see the Colts put Frank Gore on the field late in the game instead of going to that uh, spread crap where, and and not to bust on Josh Ferguson, but... uh, you yeah, no, I, I for hear you. Field.
1: I haven't been huge on Josh Ferguson this year myself. I don't quite see the. I understand his role on the team. I don't quite see the appeal. So I'm with you on the Frank Gore thing. They've had some comeback wins against the Titans over the years. Andrew Luck, similar to Stafford, another guy that can move around. He'll make tight window throws. And he in this case he was facing a defense that he's seen before. Not an easy defense to play against though. Uh the Titans do a lot of different things and they've added a lot more of man coverage to their repertoire as well. So this is a nice little win for the Colts and they did it on the road.
0: Yeah. I mean it's an AFC South win, so put the asterisk on it, but uh a win's a win. Oh, as far Gary. as the standings go. Chiefs keep on going. Chiefs are getting hot again. They uh they beat the Saints. They really were in complete control of this game. Uh, I, I don't know. Are we going to see another big win streak from KC at this point, Andy?
1: They're capable of it. That's probably the best all-around screen team in the NFL, system-wise. Running backs, tight ends, wide receivers, they, they manufacture offense. They win through their play designs to find the reads for Alex Smith. That's as good and strong and well-designed offense as anything you'll see in the NFL.
0: All right, we're getting into the sad part of the the lightning round. Let's go Ravens-Jets. Geno Smith gets on the field and gets hurt uh, pretty soon after. He threw like eight throws, a couple of bad drops. Uh, Quincy Nunwa made a pretty routine play into a long touchdown. Uh, Really tough to get a read on. on... Geno Smith throws the ball well. I think we knew that before, though, but... One other thing from that game. Jets topped the Ravens, by the way. Marty Mornenweg, who my impression was he was supposed to come in and he was going to reestablish the run game, You know that the Ravens were going to get back to running the ball, Ravens football. They were not trailing by more than a possession at any point during this game. They were leading for a a large chunk of it. 44 throws, 10 handoffs a day for Joe Flacco. It it was a really (laughs) bad game to watch. I watched the entire thing, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what the Ravens are doing. They are a mess. Flacco actually played well for the first half, and then it all just fell apart in the second half.
1: Uh, it's four straight losses now for the Ravens, so it's it's getting serious. These were The second one in a row at New York, too, So the Giants last week. They lost late to Odell Beckham. Um, the only thing I can think of is is there are teams that don't feel comfortable running against the Jets' defensive front. That's a great defensive line. Not everybody matches up well to that line. So, teams, there have been other teams that said, we're not going to bother running against the Jets. And the Jets' pass defense ranks near the bottom of the league this yeah. year. So, maybe yeah. that had something to do with it. But you're right. Morningwig was supposed to, it, the reason he's calling plays now and, and Tressman's gone is they want more balance. I think it's two things. They want more balance from the running game. Also, I don't think Tressman's passing game was working quite the way they were hoping it would in Baltimore. It did not look great. And I'm not blaming Tressman necessarily. Either it's uh, someone has to be a fall guy at times for this stuff, but uh, it was uh, it was very it's been it's felt very fragmented all season long watching their film.
0: Yes, and and look, last thing I'll say about that offense is the throws were not open today. I mean, it, this was Joe Flacco fitting in a lot of nice throws early on, and then when things crumbled in the second half, they they turned into turnovers. Uh, this this was not a good look for the Ravens. Tampa goes out to San Francisco, gets back on track, gets a win coming off that bye week. I guess they won before the bye week. They just won ugly against Carolina, but they were in control in this one. Jameis looked better. The numbers were better. Colin Kaepernick still not really getting it done uh, for the Niners, who jumped out early, and then, you know, this just sort of looked like a Niners game after that.
1: And Niners, are, they're in the same thing as the Browns, same boat. It's a total yeah, yeah. overhaul rebuilding thing. I don't say you don't give them a pass for losing, but – Let's not worry too much. They're they're sorting things out there. It's gonna take a little bit of time.
0: Yeah. And lastly, the Jaguars making everyone incredibly sad. This team is not going in the right direction. Raiders in total control against the Jaguars today. One uh one play I will highlight and then I'll ask you what you think of Blake Bortles. But uh there is Marquette King. It was fourth and twenty four, and the Raiders were punting. And Market King bobbled the snap and couldn't get the kickoff. And he ran for 27 yards untouched. It was ridiculous. It was the most Jaguars-y play I have seen. (laughs) And and it's just such a bummer to see the Jaguars who, you know, they were slowly rising and they've just sort of fallen off a precipice at this point.
1: And as far as Bortles, I'll need to see the film on this one. Uh, I will say this, Oakland has won four times now on the road. This was in another early window game in the East Coast. This is incredible. Yeah. yeah. You're not supposed good to be able uh, to win those games. Exactly. West good, Coast good. going to East Coast. 10 a.m. start time in their body clocks.
0: Good for Jack Del Rio. Good for, uh, good for the Raiders. Marquette King outrushes TJ Yellen today. That's also driving me nuts. That's something else I want to hear from you about, that TJ Yellen's not getting enough. Playing time or touches. They don't run the ball either. Yeah, Jaguars are making me sad. Let's move on to Topic 10 Awards Time. Number 10. Andy, do you want to start off Offensive Player of the Week, or uh, do you want me to? Yeah,
1: I'll go. It's it's. I'm giving it to David Johnson of the Cardinals. Numbers were not huge. They actually didn't even wind up winning the game. Nobody won the game. Uh, that's he's the reason they were in the game, though, just the nature of it. Sometimes you get in those slug fests, and he converted a number of third and really shorts, third and two, third and three, which are not easy against that Seahawks defense. He was yep. sustainable. He kept them moving. It also it was a big part of their passing game, as usual. And they put a lot of different guys on him, too, in man coverage. At one point, they had Earl Thomas on him in man coverage. He also saw Wagner. He saw K.J. Wright. Talented players he went up against, and, and he, he was a man tonight. He kept them in that one.
0: Yep, and learn all sorts of things about David Johnson on this week's MMQB podcast with Peter King. My offensive player of the week is Matthew Stafford. Uh, just standing on his head. They have no running backs left. They have basically Marvin Jones and Golden Tate. Eric Ewern is out, and Stafford makes it happen again. Making plays He's awesome. That's that's all I that's all I got on Matthew Stafford. Defensive Player of the Week.
1: I'm going Cliff Averill, Although although maybe I need to give it to uh, D J Humphreys in this game because Avril <laughs> Avril had a field day against him. Ah, he was yeah. a he was a monster. Cliff Averill is such a good player with leverage, technique, and and then speed to power or, or power to speed. He transitions very well into his moves. He's an excellent pass rusher.
0: Uh, I'm giving it to Denzel Perryman in my favorite game of the year. Uh, He was playing banged up the entire game. He uh, dropped into zone coverage at one point and, and fooled Matt Ryan, ended up stepping in front of Julio Jones for a big interception during that comeback, and then he, uh, he knifed through and got the fourth down stop in Falcons territory in overtime, which is a perfectly fine call, by the way, by Dan Quinn. Uh, the Falcons did the right thing. Perryman just made a play, and then he, I think he's going to run back to San Diego and build a stadium by himself because he was <laughs> that good today. Special teams player of the week. So much special teams. It was all, the special teams were very special this week, Andy, so I can't wait to hear who you have here.
1: I'm going to go, uh, Marquette King. I don't know if you saw, Gary. There was a fourth and 24 play at Jacksonville, and uh, Marquette King got the ball. actually uh, bobbled the snap, fumbled it a little bit, and then picked it up and ran untouched for 27 yards, outrushing TJ Yeldon today in Jacksonville. A great play by Marquette King. A very special, special teams play. He's my special teams player of the week. Did he go right sideline or left sideline? Who's your special teams player of the week, Gary? <laughs>
0: uh I well I'm giving it to Bobby Wagner cuz he blocked a field goal with his armpit which he yeah. won it automatically at that point. And he actually yeah. won yours too. We're taking it back for Marquette King and we're going to send it to Bobby <laughs> Wagner. He will get the uh uh I don't know the Arby's gift card or or whatever we give out for that. Or or the my bookie uh go to my bookie code 10 things <laughs> million dollar
1: uh uh, I don't I don't think Bobby Wagner's – with all due my, – my book is a great product. Bobby Wagner probably doesn't want to receive the gift from them <laughs> on that one. That would just complicate things for him based on just the rules he plays under.
0: And uh, Coach of the Week, Andy, who you got?
1: Uh, my Coach of the Week – oh, boy. Um – How about Philadelphia and Jim Schwartz and what they did to that Vikings offense? I know they had an advantage uh, up front, and they took advantage of that, but Schwartz also dialed up some blitzes in the game, nickel star blitzes, meaning he blitzed his slot guy as well as an inside linebacker, and that's not been in his repertoire this year. He knows how to do them, of course. That's just not the way they played in Philly, but I think they wanted to protect their corners a little bit. I think they were smelling some blood in the water as far as their pass rush in Minnesota reacting to it. Those Viking running backs struggled in pass pro today. I'm going Jim Schwartz, Philadelphia's defensive coordinator.
0: Uh, I'm giving it to Adam Gase because, as we said before, this is crushing his soul to run the ball this often, but... He's doing it, and they're winning games all of a sudden in Miami. All right, Andy, that's going to do it for this week. That is a show. Thank you, as always, to our researcher, Jeff Irwin, and to the folks at Digital Media who always make us sound so good. And thank you for listening to this episode of the MMQB 10 Things Podcast. You guys really are the best. As always, you can reach out to Andy or me on Twitter. Andy underscore Benoit or G Grambling underscore SI or on Facebook. We're both there. Just look us up. We love hearing from you. We also like to thank our sponsor, myboogie.net. Please, please, please support them the way they support our show. Remember to listen and subscribe to new and archive episodes of the MMQB podcast with Albert Breer, the MMQB podcast with Peter King and this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, including the MMQB.com, SI.com, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast providers. We will see you guys next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.